In today's show, we're looking back at the 2020-2021 regular season for the Milwaukee Bucks. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter, as always, at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today, we are looking back at the season for the Milwaukee Bucks, but today's show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game, but only 2.6 grams of carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Of course, the Bucks season is still going. But we're talking fantasy. We're talking regular season stats. Um, and we're you know covering a little bit what's happening in the playoffs as well. So uh, yeah, at the time of us recording this, the Bucks are getting ready for game five against the Atlanta Hawks. And that series tied 2-2 in the East. In fact, Richie Benno. Two for two, two, two. In the, uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. So let's talk about these Milwaukee Bucks now. Let's start it off by looking at their record. 46-26 and 26 in the regular season. Third seed in the East. Of course, they are through now to the conference finals after beating the Nets in seven games. It hasn't been particularly easy. It's been a little bit shaky in that, that series against the Nets with Harden and Irving injured, and they struggled to get through that. But a good fight back, and now against the Hawks, and now they're dealing with no Yanni. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see where they go from here. This is the best opportunity they'll have to win a title, I would imagine, and uh, I'm not sure it's going to happen with the way things are looking. Sixth in offense, 10th in defense, second highest pace, which is very interesting, and they also have the first pick in the second round coming up in the NBA draft, which you might be able to get a useful player, and given their cap situation, you're getting a regular or a solid enough rotation piece at that spot. Could be really, really useful. In terms of free agency, Jeff Teague's a free agent. Good. Like, he's absolutely really bad at this point. PJ Tucker's an unrestricted free agent. I would imagine they would like to bring him back, but honestly, they brought him in to win a title this year. Um, and depending on how that goes, Bryn Forbes and Bob Portis both have player options. I think that both of those guys have a real chance of declining those player options and entering free agency. Portis was really, really good this year. Best season of his career by far. You don't want to rely upon him as a starter, but in his role, he was really good. Thanasis Antetokounmpo is a restricted free agent. He's only coming back if Giannis uh, demands it. Well, Sam Merrill, Elijah Bryant, and Mamadi Diakiti are all non-guaranteed. I think Merrill, they'll pick that up. I think Diakiti, who I think has got a little bit of promise, he'll get picked up. Elijah Bryant, no, not, he played one game for him, um, and they signed him for that last game of the year pretty much. So I don't think there's anything to really look forward to with him. But the, the question is going to be what happens with Portis and what happens with Tucker. They are the two real rotation pieces. Jeff Teague, you can you can piss that off. They're the two real rotation. But Bryn Forbes, I guess, is a rotation piece as well um, that they'd like to you know, bring back, I would imagine. But you could also find some other shooting guard types again. But the cap space situation for them is probably going to be just a little bit crowded as we head into next season. 
BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all of the action at BetOnline as well as the NBA playoffs. Get in the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA playoffs, the Stanley Cup finals, and all of your UFC MMA action. Before that next tip, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all of the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the championship. Head to the website, use our promo code LOCKEDON, and sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline are your online sportsbook experts. And right across the Locked On Podcast Network, our road to the finals coverage for the NBA playoffs is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 grams of carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Let's start with the big fella, Yanni Antetokounmpo. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, 61 games, 33 minutes a night. He averaged 54 fantasy points. That was good for third. His ADP was five. So, look, he was always going to be, uh, I thought, top two player in points leagues. Obviously, Jokic jumped ahead of him, but in that in that realm, and if you picked him top two, you're not disappointed. 11th in category leagues, but we know that if we're talking about Yanni, we're talking about punting free throws. And in a punt free throw build, he's a lot higher than that. We're talking about a guy that, yeah, we see that value jump up into that top five range. And I'm just bringing up my screen now to tell you exactly where he does sit in a punt free throw scenario. Because that that is what you're doing with Yanni. Look, if he gets better at free throws, all well and good. Like, fantastic stuff. But, oh, he is actually number two in punt free throws. All right? That's that's great. If if you if he gets better, fantastic. If he doesn't, then you, you've dealt with it. He averaged 28, 11, and 6. 1.2 steals, 1.2 blocks, 57 from the field. And while it is 69 from the line, Giggity. which is not a horrendous number, he takes 10 attempts. Right, so it's not you're not shooting 30, you're not shooting 50, you're not shooting even 60% from the line. 69 is not terrible. The average is like 78, 79. But on those amount of attempts, you just need so many other guys at high volume and high percentage to bring, even bring it back to normal that it makes it really, really difficult. And that is one of the key factors that players starting out in fantasy don't understand is that it's not the percentage that's as important. Like, there are plenty of people who shoot 62% from the line that are better in that category than Yanni is at 69 because that volume becomes very, very hard to deal with. We, it's, it's one of those lessons that you have to learn and you have to understand how that works. In terms of you know, what Yanni is able to do, he obviously suffered that knee injury. Um, thankfully, it doesn't look like it's anything too serious and it shouldn't cost him time next season. That's great. He's 26, so he's right in that beginning of the prime of his career. He will turn 27 halfway through next season. Um, we know he's excellent. He's a great finisher. He's a good passer. Excellent defender. Um, yeah, unstoppable when he gets ahead of steam up with the Euro step. Shooting, it's always going to be a concern. 30% from three this year. It did improve as the season went on, but only 3.6 attempts from three per game, which again, you're not shooting that well. That's not too bad, but he's going to be this dominant sort of player again who averages you know, big scoring, big rebounding, good assists, good steals, good blocks, good field goal percentage. I don't really see anything changing for the next two to three years. You're punting free throws. You've got a top three player on your hands, top five player at worst. You probably got that for four years. And in a dynasty league, oh, that's worth a top five, probably top six selection, Like depending on how youthful you want to skew. In dynasty, I tend to look three to four years in advance usually, rather than trying to be a plan it out 10 years. But you know, Yarn is going to provide you that really strong value for those next um, 
for those next couple of years, I think pretty uh, pretty undoubtedly. Those numbers there, of course, in the advanced metrics right across the board. Someone asked me this question yesterday, whether these you know, letter grades and the advanced metrics are they're predictive of anything in the future. They're, they're not. They're trying to judge what happened in the past. Now, some of them, like uh, Raptor and LeBron, there is a pr- somewhat of a predictive element to it. So if you see someone who maybe didn't produce at a high level from a fantasy stats perspective or played limited minutes with some really good Raptor minutes and even some LeBron minutes, there is some reason to think, okay, let's look at that as somewhat of a buy low in a dynasty format because there is some forward predictability. Numbers like uh, box score plus minus doesn't really have that forward predictability. So just be careful with looking at that. But Raptor does and LeBron does have a little bit of that. Yanni, like you're really high scoring efficiency because of you know, his basic unstoppability when he gets close to the rim. Let's look at Drew Holiday, who came across in that trade from the New Orleans Pelicans. He played a ton in New Orleans, and I was a little bit concerned with Drewy coming over that I just wasn't sure how much he would play in Milwaukee. And I was right to suggest that he wouldn't play as much. He went down from 36 minutes a game. Uh, that was in 18-19 to 35 minutes a game, down to 32 minutes a game. But he was still unbelievable. Now, the two previous years he'd been, or three previous years, 19th, 17th, and 31st. Um, and that 31st in his last year in New Orleans was due to a large drop in field goal percentage and free throw percentage, an inexplicable drop there. So both of those numbers increased, which we sort of did expect to happen. But he also was able to maintain uh, pretty good scoring rates. His assists stayed about the same. His defensive numbers stayed about the same. Realistically, Holiday was about the same despite playing fewer minutes. Now, he did score uh, a little bit less from the field because that usage dropped from 25 down to 22% this year. But being that elite defensive guy, while also bringing the uh, the field goal percentage and true shooting back up to 57%, it pushed him right into that 26th spot. Really, really good value. Now, Drew Holiday is 31 I would feel more comfortable looking at him in the you know, 35 to 45 range versus 25 to 35 range, I, I think. Um, just because there is, you know, the 32 minutes, does it go to, I'll probably say is it 32, but is there more of a risk of an injury as a year older? Could the steals, and that, that's the big thing here for Holiday, is the 1.6 steals that he averaged. Yeah, can that drop to 1.4? Because if it does, that's like a 5-10 drop ranking spot right there. Interestingly, over the last 23 games, which includes playoffs, he's only shooting 70% from the line and 44 from the field. Now, the large reason why he was able to get a big boost in fewer minutes this year is he improved those percentages, but they have regressed over the second half of the year. So just watch that to see if there's any lingering impact. So again, if we're do we expect him to just maintain the same level of shooting numbers next season? Because if you do, then you know no reason that much of what he does changes. But if, if it doesn't, if it does regress like the second half, there is some concern there. Absolutely elite defender. Pretty good shooter um, at times, although he can be uh, can be a little bit shaky. Shot 39% from three this year. Um, not the highest usage player, of course, but a good true usage guy. Has the ball in his hands a lot. Good passer. Good playmaker. But the, the steals is really impactful, and he's been a, a huge addition to this team. There's no denying that. And the advanced stuff, really, of course, it loves him. Defensively, offensively, there's no surprise with any of that. The fantasy stats, he's always been a really good fantasy player. We can see you know, assists and steals really high. Great blocks for a guard. Solid threes, good scoring. He's just a really good player, and he's scoring efficiency here as a role man. He doesn't get used much in that scenario, but you know, isolation stuff, pick and roll ball handler, spot up. Um, his, his points per possession, his true shooting, all really, really impressive for Big Drew Holiday. Let's move on. We're going to talk Chris Middleton, who played 68 games this year. 
Um, he averaged 33 minutes a night and scored 20 points per game. Another really solid season from Chrissy Middleton. 37 fantasy points, good for 46th. He was 34th in category leagues. His ADP was 41, which is a little bit interesting that it was as low as it was. But Middleton was able to still maintain some pretty good numbers, Um, basically the same as the year before. And the year before, he did it while playing just 30 minutes a night. So his permanent production actually dropped this year, um, but did that while maintaining some pretty solid numbers. He improved his assist numbers this year. But what he did do is he saw his free throws drop a little bit. He saw his field goals drop a little bit. And he saw his three-point percentage drop a little bit. And that all had somewhat of an impact in that overall ranking. But still, yeah, the, the shooting numbers for him are insane. A true shooting of 59, 90% from the line, 48 from the field. Now, he was tracking at 50, 40, 90 to begin this year, but that did fall off. 48 from the field, 41 from three. 20 and six with five and a half assists and a steal per game. A comically low 0.1 blocks per game for Middleton. But of course, we're not drafting Chris Middleton to get blocks onto our team. He's a really, really good shooter. He is a guy that he's not your number one primary offensive option, but he's a really good offensive option at at one-on-ones and and ISO work. Um, Defensively, he's not as good as he used to be. He used to be quite a good defender, but he is someone that you can have some level of trust out there on the wing to be a good defender. Um, But his ability to be that isolation scorer that Giannis can't be, as well as being a spot-up option, I think is really important to this team. Now, he, like Drew, is a little bit older. He is just about to turn 30. We've probably got another year, I'd say another one, one to two years of top 50 from Chris Middleton. But that 20 points per game on 26 usage that he had this year, I could very easily see that going down to 19 on 24 usage and then down to 17 on 23 usage over the next two years. And those 5.4 assists, which I believe was a career high this year for him. Yes, it was by a fair distance. Um, At some point, that's going to fall off as well. So there is going to be some decline coming from Middleton in the next couple of years. And to me, he's profiling more as a fourth round player versus a third-round play. Now, the advanced stuff still likes him, but you can see that LeBron, his defensive LeBron, it fell off a bit. Raptor hated him defensively. He has fallen off in that area. And while he is an elite scorer and shooter, his true shooting numbers and some of his other numbers aren't quite as high as even, say, a Drew Holiday, who's not someone that you think of as this top-level um, top level shooter or top-level efficiency player. Brooke Lopez was pretty disappointing in chunks this season, definitely lost some of the value that he had he had. had. 102nd-ranked player in category leagues in his 27 minutes a night, played 70 games, 12 points and five rebounds, and really where he gets by is just 1.5 blocks. Great, 85% from the line for a big man, 50% from the field's all right, one and a half threes is all right, but realistically, he was out there providing blocks, and that's what he was contributing to a fantasy team, like he was blocking shots. Um, For points leagues, he's not really a must-roster or must-draft guy, under 25 fantasy points. And like Middleton and like Holiday, Lopez is old. He's 33. So is it 27 minutes? Go to 26 minutes. Now, things could change if they get a new head coach, if Budenholzer does, in fact, get fired, which I do think is still probably a 50-50 proposition, especially if they lose in the conference finals. Yeah, that idea could change, and he might go and play 30 minutes a night. But he's, yeah, upside of being this guy that we've seen in the past be you know, top 40 when he was back in Brooklyn is never going to happen again. But even the top 70 bloke he's been in Milwaukee the last two seasons where he's blocking two plus shots per game, that, that fell way off. And some of that can be schemed, but I think a lot of that is just age and yeah, age-related decline. And he's 33. You don't expect him to be this elite-level shot blocker um, yeah, all the way through his career. 
Really good defender still most of the time. Um, can be a good pick and roll guy. Still can be an offensive guy, but he's not that same guy that he was in Brooklyn, quite obviously. We're all well aware of that. Um, yeah, contests shots well, yeah, moves well, screens well, really produces good defensive ability and good offensive ability in a yeah, non-box scorey type way, I guess. Raptor really loved him as well, especially defense. Oh, not Raptor, sorry. LeBron really loved him in the metrics. He was plus 2.4. That's 94th percentile. Raptor not quite as keen, but still pretty interesting. And, and you look at his effectiveness here. True shooting of 61% is great. Um, yeah, Post-up numbers really good. His putback numbers really good. But the only thing that really stands out as elite from fantasy perspective is his blocks. Everything else is sort of mid-range, and, and I think that's what we look at from Brook. And he's probably going to be one of those you know, 11th round guys, 10th round guys, 12th round guys next season. That could change depending on the coach, but at 33 years of age, I'm not expecting him to go and play you know, 32 minutes a night in the regular season. I think, I think that would be uh, pretty foolish if that's what ended up being the case. Now, the big ragu. Dante DiVincenzo, of course, the Bucks are missing him throughout these playoffs. We can talk about injuries to players uh, all through the playoffs, which is something I actually hate discussing, so I don't know why I brought it up. But DiVincenzo's out with his ankle injury. Now, we hope that he's back to begin next season, but there's no guarantee of that. Um, he was a really interesting flyer to me at the end of drafts, 128 ADP. I was all about that because he was going to start. He was going to play decent minutes, but he didn't play as much as I thought. 28 minutes per game. I thought it'd be 31-32. Didn't quite get there. 25 fantasy points. He's not a good points league guy. His value is tied in, like Brook Lopez is tied into steals. DiVincenzo's is usually tied into uh, Lopez to his blocks. DiVincenzo's is tied to his steals. It didn't really pan out that way, and his shooting didn't come around. 10 points, 6 rebounds. Now, that's really good. 6 rebounds as a guard is a really good number. He hit 2-3, so that's solid. The 3 assist is a good peripheral number. 1.1 steals is not elite, though. And then 42 from the field and 72 from the line, including 38% from three. You would have hoped for a little bit more from DiVincenzo as a shooter who's not tasked with a large offensive role to be able to do some spot-up type stuff, but did not finish at the rim well at all. 52% of the rim is horrendous. 34% from mid-range is horrendous. He's getting worse as a free-throw shooter every year, which is absolutely concerning. And his actual overall impact numbers, his EPM, for example, dropped pretty significantly this season. It was really, really high last year, but in a larger role, it did not um, it did not serve him particularly well. So, where do we look at for Div- what do we look at for Divincenzo heading into next season? Well, Divincenzo is twenty four. It's three years into his NBA career. Should be really looking to establish a solid role next year. And I think he can. I think that the 27 minutes a night will push to 29. I hope that the shooting comes. He's a good three-point shooter, 38%. But the bad free throws, the bad finishing, the bad mid-range stuff is all a real concern. I like his ability to be a wing passer, much like his fellow fan of pants, Kevin Herter. Yeah, that, that all works, but both of those guys still struggle with their overall efficiency. Now, DiVincenzo is not the level of scorer that Herder is. Herder is not the level of scorer that DiVincenzo is. And I think overall, if we're looking at absolute upside for fantasy, Dante probably has a higher one there. Less competition for minutes, higher upside in defensive stats like steals, and that probably goes a little bit further in, in a fantasy setting. He's still a really valuable player, I believe, but just didn't quite take the leap that the opportunity afforded him this season. Yeah, the advanced stuff still really liked him. Defensively, it was big positive on LeBron. Overall, he was a plus 1.5, 89th percentile. Raptor was much more sour on him, but RPM did like him, and like adjusted RAPM liked him too. But this is the problem. Look at his efficiency numbers over here. 
Um, so many F grades on his isolation play and, and cutting plays, which is something he needs to work on, obviously. But then even as a, a spot-up guy, B-plus grade, like that's not ideal. Um, pick and roll ball handler, B-minus. True shooting, C at 54%. Like, not good. And you look at his fantasy stats, yeah, the assists are pretty good. The steals are pretty good. The three-pointers are pretty good, but we need that efficiency for the big ragu to really step up before he can get into that guy. And I think he can be like a top 70 guy, best case for probably a three-year three stretch would be my guess. Let's talk about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. Not only is Built Bar tasting delicious, because it does, it tastes bloody beautiful, but we're talking about healthy bars. Protein bars, they often taste like something you might scrape out of a baby's diaper, or as we would call it here, a nappy. I don't know why we have different words for it, but we do. But anyway... Built Bar, that tastes like a candy bar. Nine delicious flavors plus the occasional limited time flavor. And when you see a limited time flavor drop, go get them because they're always great and they don't last long. Coconut, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie. A lot of brownies there. You can go and grab those. But if you don't know what flavor is your favorite, go grab a mix box. There's 18 bars, all nine flavors, two of each. So you get to try and figure out what is your favorite. Most of these flavors are 17 grams of protein, but just 130 calories and only four grams of sugar, which is what? Seven eighteenths of an ounce? I don't know, whatever bullshit measurements you want to use. Four grams of net carbs as well. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and you'll get 15% off your first order. The promo code is LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Let's talk about the next bloke. Punch Bob Shit Bloke. Bobby Portis. Now, it is absolutely 100% accurate to say that Bobby Portis had a great year. That is 100% true. He played 21 minutes a night. He averaged 24 points. He somehow cracked 24 fantasy points. He averaged, or he cracked the top 130 for category leagues. Um, amazing stuff. He averaged 11 and 7 on a 21 usage. His true shooting was 60. He hit 47% of his threes. But he still remains an absolute offensive black hole. He still remains a shitful defender, like a dreadful defender, and he just benefited from every single three-pointer going in. So if you look at Bob Portis and go, well, yeah, he's a free agent. Does someone pony up the money and say, we want to play you in a 26-minute-a-night role? Someone might do that. And then you're looking, well, Josh, he was 125th in 20 minutes a night, therefore the top 60 is beckoning. It isn't. Because A, 47% shooting will not continue. Get, write it down. It will not continue. He will not be a 47% three-point shooter. So that level of efficiency drops off. He was also 54% from two, which is not a bad number. But for a guy who does do a little bit of um, perimeter work and and jump shot work, there's some concern. Because he hit 47% of his mid-rangers too on a pretty decent diet of them. He remains a very good rebounder. The defensive counting stats are okay. He actually defended at a much better level this year than he has in the past. But I don't think that this is, well, we'll just push him forward into a large role and he's a top 60 guy. I don't think that's the case. He was, again, really good. And if he did go to a role, if Charlotte said, Bob, can you come down, punch a few teammates and also be the starting center, I would draft him. I have no no doubt about that. But he would also get out there and they'd go, oh, Jesus Christ, look at this defense. All right, PJ, can you get out there and help out? And he might be a 24-minute, 22-minute-a-night Cody Zeller-type starting center who then doesn't hit 47% of his threes and, and the value falls off. I think that's a possibility. 
but he was really, really good as a pop guy, pick and pop guy. And it worked being on a really good team, playing alongside Yanni and Drew and Chris and, and DiVincenzo and Brooke and all those guys. It really, really helped him. And if he goes to a bad team, I, uh, I, I have significant worries about what, uh, what would happen to him. So he is a guy to watch in free agency and a guy that could end up getting significantly overdrafted based on this season and the fact that people love his hustle because he opens his eyes wide. People love it. Despite his good season, yeah, LeBron didn't really love him. Negative 0.3. Raptor did though, plus 2.5. Real plus minus had him in that mid-range as well. So advanced numbers sort of all over the place with him. Interestingly, that Raptor and LeBron both sort of thought his defense was okay this year, but uh, Real Plus Minus hated it. F grade, 14th percentile. I think that probably matches the eye test a little bit more on Portis's defense. He's always been a guy that can put up points, big rebounds, steals and blocks, not bad for fantasy. We know that, but one of those you know, overall tenants that I will often say when talking about fantasy, it's all great to be a guy that goes out there and you know, puts up great permanent numbers. And then you go, well, he's going to start now, but are you actually good enough to sustain playing those big minutes, even though the stats come? Like, can a team actually stomach that shit? And so much of that is to do with team context as well. Let's move on to the next guy. And things get pretty uh, slim pickings here for the Bucks. We go to Pat Connaughton, who, you know, big part of the rotation, one of the worst fantasy players out there. Average 23 minutes, 17 fantasy points, 238 in category leagues. I'm just not sure what he really does that's good. Seven and five, no defensive stats, one assist, 43 and 78 from the field, from the line, 37% from three. He hit some threes in a decent decent chunk. But Connaughton, who is 28 now, I don't really ever see him ever developing into any sort of top 150 player or anything along those lines. His advanced numbers, um, we'll bring some of those up now. I thought he defended all right this year. The shooting is pretty solid. There's you know, not a huge volume there, but it's not terrible. He's not a bad rebounder. He's a good IQ sort of guy a lot of the time, but a very, very low usage player, which is not surprising when you're Pat Connaughton. The metrics actually did like what he did. LeBron in particular, but Raptor was pretty high on him. Uh, real plus minus, not quite there. You can see there's some all over the shopness in his scoring efficiency, like really good as a role man. Really good on dump-offs, really good off screens, but you know, struggled in transition, um, struggled in isolation, which is not, not a surprise. And his fantasy yeah, profile is pretty bad. The only things that really are positives are three-pointers and rebounds, and you can get threes in multiple spots. You could even get them from someone like Pat Connaughton. Let's move on to the next guy, and that is PJ Tucker, who amazingly, amazingly was drafted. I, I don't know why, but he was drafted. Um... 126 ADP. He finished outside the top 300. He is a very good defender. He is 36 years old. He averaged under four points and under four rebounds with under half a block and 0.7 steals on 37% shooting. Like those numbers, they could not look more horrible. He is never going back to being a top 150 player. He's a guy whose fantasy value is entirely skewed by the fact that he has no turnovers and... You know, LaMarcus Aldridge will have no turnovers next year as well. Is that why you want to draft him? No. So Tucker should have no business expecting anything to jump forward from him for this upcoming season. Remains a very, very good defender. There's no um, there's no denying that. He is a very good defender. Um, he has dropped off in that area because he's 36 years of age. But he is a, a really solid defender, really solid post defender, can defend in the perimeter as well. 
Um, and yeah, one of the kings of, of corner threes in the past. But yeah, that's not really going to have an impact for us for fantasy. The advanced stuff is, disgust- is disgustingly bad. First percentile for LeBron, negative 3.5. Fifth percentile for RPM, negative 4.1. 15th for Raptor, negative 5.3. There is not one good thing there apart from his defensive LeBron marker at 62nd percentile. His fantasy production per possession, everything is in the bottom half of the league. Like, it's bad. His scoring efficiency, well, as a post-up, he got a decent grade, but that's uh, still horribly inefficient. He's just a bad offensive player at this point who can play some solid defense. But, yeah, I don't really think there's much to go go forward there with with PJ Tucker. My name is Jeff. Jeff Teague. Surely no team wants to sign him to be their backup um, point guard next season. We saw it last year in Minnesota, last year in Atlanta, this year in Boston, this year in Milwaukee, that he's not up to it anymore. 17 minutes a night, 14 fantasy points. He was drafted 131st. Now, I would love to know what the hell people were smoking when they did that. Did they think that Kemba... Well, I guess what they were doing. Now, let let me rephrase that. Kemba Walker was missing the start of the season. So they said, oh, Jeff Teague's going to start and play 30 minutes. But that was something that I talked about on the podcast quite a bit. I said, there's no way that uh, Jeff Teague is started. They won't start him. They'll start Marcus Smart at point guard, and they'll put someone else in there at the two, which is exactly what they did. In But what they did at the two is they put Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and started two centers, which isn't something I saw coming. So I guess I can understand taking that late, late round flyer on Teague in the hopes that he would be good. But even if he played 33 minutes, he still wouldn't be good. He is so far past it at this point. He's passing his 2.4 assists, shithouse. Shooting, no good. He hit 44% from three. That's great. I don't care. He doesn't take them. One and a half threes per game. The volume is so low. He got good free throws, 85%, but low, low attempts there as well. Steals, non-existent. Like, he's just he's just not good at this point. Um, and he's not going to get better from here. We know how old he is. And again, I don't really see any team, you know, wanting to entrust Jeff Teague to be their backup point guard as they head into next season. Um, yeah, he finished at an okay level. He can sort of hold things down. But again, he's more of a third string point guard that if your backup or starter gets injured, he can move into being the, the second guy. And maybe not kill you, but so much of the time he's out there, he actually he actually does kill you. The advanced metrics expectedly hated him. Some okay numbers here as a pick and roll ball handler, but you can't do too much more than that. And the assists, I guess, on a per possession basis were all right, 82, uh, 82nd percentile. That's all right. And his steals were okay, but look, he's just, he's over it. He, he's past it. He's done. Let's go to the next guy, Bryn Forbesy Forbes. If there's ever a absolute one category specialist, and even in that category, he's pretty hot and cold. You know, Forbes is the guy we're talking about here. 19 minutes, 13 fantasy points, 318th ranked player, but he hit two threes. If you wanted threes to stream in on a Sunday in a matchup, here's your guy. Unfortunately, he averaged a combined 2.2 rebounds and assists. Actually, let's rephrase that. He averaged a combined 2.5 rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. Ryan Anderson looks at that and goes, mate, you're an amateur. What are you doing? Actually, he doesn't look at him at amateur. He goes, mate, you're a pro. You're a pro at doing absolutely nothing apart from hitting threes. 47% from the field, including 45% from three. So obviously, elite three-point shooting. But he does nothing else. Point six, remember when Greg Popovich used to run this bloke as a point guard? Lol. There were people who thought that, there were people who literally thought that the Bucks would start Bryn Forbes as the point guard and play Drew Holiday off the board. Have they seen Bryn Forbes as a point guard? 
excellent shooter. Horrendous in other areas. Not a good defender. A great three-point shooter. Not a good defender. But he has a role in the NBA. There's no doubt he has a role and he will get some sort of a contract. But shit, for fantasy, he gives us nothing. The advanced stuff, absolutely hated him. LeBron, down on him. Raptor, massively down. RPM was all right on him. And look, the scoring stuff for him is really good because he's a great shooter. 63 true shooting is excellent. Points per possession, excellent. Pick and roll ball handler, spot up numbers, post up numbers, ISO numbers, handoff, off screen, like really good numbers. But look at that fantasy profile. 99th percentile for three-pointers made. And then everything else apart from points under 20th percentile, holy shit, he's just a really, really bad fantasy player. And that's fine because he's not playing for fantasy. Now we get into the dregs of things. Who knew Justin Jackson played for the Bucks? He played for the Thunder to begin this year. He started some games, and, and I will I have maintained this from his time in Sacramento, his time in Dallas. He is one of the worst players in the NBA. He is one of those guys who will come out and he'll have 18 points, and it will come on seven of nine shooting, and people will go, ooh, Justin Jackson. He's got the frame. He's got the look. What a scorer. And he'll have one rebound and nothing else. And then the next game, he'll go 0 of 12. He is inconsistent. He is bad. He is not an NBA caliber rotation player. And I know that's being harsh on the young bloke, but it's true. He's just not very good. Um, defensively, he, again, looks the part of someone who maybe should be able to defend, but can't. He looks like someone who should be able to shoot, but can't really do that either. Um, he's just that guy that, He's just getting by on pedigree at this point. No surprise. Everything looks shithouse on his advanced stuff. His fantasy numbers are poor. Although he did have some okay assist numbers, interestingly, this year. And did work okay in isolation. But again, you're never wanting to put Justin Jackson in isolation. He's a guy who is a, a scorer who you shouldn't ever want to be a scorer. And that's a bad combination. Let's look at a second round pick from this year. Jordan Nwora, who we didn't get to see huge amounts of this year. But... I think if we're looking at him versus an Elijah Bryant or versus a Justin Jackson, I'd want to give him a go. 10 fantasy points, nine minutes a game. He, you know, the numbers, it's you know, six points, one three. He shot 45% from three, obviously really, really low volume. But a guy that came in with a reputation of being a shooter came in and shot the ball well. I'll take that as a really good start. Can he work his way into a rotation role? Two years time? Yeah. Could he take over Bryn Forbes? Maybe. I think he can be a good defender in time as well. Now, I don't think he can do a huge amount more else than that, but you know, good defense, hit some threes. What more do you want from an eighth or ninth man? There is some value in him maybe having one top 200 fantasy season or at least being a solid three-point streaming option. The advanced metrics don't love him, but they don't hate him, which as a rookie, I don't mind some of these numbers, some decent shooting efficiency. It is limited time, of course, but 59 true shooting is pretty good. I think there's a little bit of a future there for Jordan War. I'm not banking on it 100%, but I think there's a little bit of something there. This next guy we didn't really get to see a huge uh, amount of, and that's Mamadi Diakiti, who the Bucks did sign during the season um, and converted his contract because he did show some, um, some pretty interesting uh, stats or, or performances during the season. I think that's probably the best way of phrasing that. Diakiti only played 10 minutes a game. He was almost you know, 400th ranked player in the uh, in the league for fantasy. And if you look at his NBA numbers, three and two, around 40 and 79%. That's not particularly good. 13% from three, not particularly good. 
Let's look at what he did in the G League. He played for the Lakeland Magic, who won the championship. He came off the bench and played 28 minutes and averaged 19 and 10 with two blocks. He shot 75 from the line. He shot 50% from three on limited attempts. Uh, just won a game, seven of 14. But there's there's something there with uh, Diakiti, I think. I'm I'm marginally interested in, in what he can produce. Now, he is older, so an older rookie. He's 24. But there is, I don't know, there is just something something there that he can bring. We're, we're talking about yeah, a, a guy that's, you know, what, 6'9", six, 6'10", six, good rim protector, decent defender, good pick and roll sort of a guy, um, low usage player, and that's probably never going to change, but that good shot blocking, rim protecting player, interesting. And the advanced stuff, yeah, defensively, LeBron liked him. Raptor loved him. Overall, they're not too bad on him. So there is there is something to work on there. Those defensive stats look all right. Again, it's very limited sample, but yeah, there can be guys out there, Yudoka as a BUK, for example, or I got no hope. Diakiti turning into a Chris Boucher type guy, maybe. He's not really the offensive player that Boucher is. I wouldn't be surprised if he could have somewhat of an impact at some point in the NBA. And the last guy we're really going to focus on here is Sam Merrill. And another second round pick who you know, they had some injury issues at times during the season, and Merrill was able to come in. And again, I thought he held his own. Three points in eight minutes, 44% shooting, didn't miss a free throw, 0.7 assists, like nothing particularly spectacular about Merrill. But he is a guy that was able to handle the ball. Um, he shot, what, 45% from three, but again, reputation coming in is as a shooter, and he did that well. Good corner three-point shooter, guys. Some decent playmaking stuff from him. Yeah, some interesting things from him. Now, the advanced stuff doesn't particularly love him, although RPM is pretty high. But the efficiency stuff is good, and it's a good base to work on. Now, Merrill is quite old. He's 25 already. But as a, again, if Bryn Forbes does leave, could Merrill take that step up to a 17-minute-a-night role where he hits two threes per game? I wouldn't count out either him or Nwora doing that next season. I wouldn't count it out. I don't think the upside for Merrill is really particularly high. But I wouldn't count out something interesting happening. I'm not going to talk about Axel Tupin or Elijah Bryant, who scored 16 points in his one game, or uh, even Thanasis Antetokounmpo, who played a lot. But he's 29, and he's not good, and he's only there because his brother's there. It's simple. Simple as that. So that's it. That'll do it for us for the Milwaukee Bucks. We've got one team left, and that is the Phoenix Suns. Will they be our NBA champions? I guess we'll find out. Don't forget to follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app while on YouTube. Thumb me up. Ring the bell, subscribe, comments, all of that stuff. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.